You are listening to the Hiking Radio Network, where we talk the walk with shows by hikers about hikers for everybody. Mighty Blue on the Appalachian Trail, the ultimate midlife crisis. Join Steve and his guests every week as he staggers from Georgia to Maine. Hi, you're listening to Mighty Blue on the Appalachian Trail, the ultimate midlife crisis. I'm your host, Steve Adams, or Mighty Blue, and today's guest is another of those reflective women who hiked the AT and has been very intentional in many of her decisions, both preparing for the trail and making decisions as she moved along the trail. Her name is Sarah Robeson, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot from my conversation with Sarah. She'll be along soon. Today, in our last podcast of 2021, I'm going to be sharing a few changes that will be coming up in March and early April, so stick around for that. Also, today, we have a new class of 2022 hiker, Dom Tomorrow, and the first follow-up conversation from one of that class. Chuck Hayes is heading out on the 1st of January, crazy guy, and I chatted with him after I saw a post he made on Christmas Day as he was preparing to head out. Then we're going to have the first part of Chapter 18 of Wyndham Porter's Passing Through. It ends at a very dramatic moment. So, with three chats and a book reading, we've got quite a bit to get through. Here's Sarah Robeson, or Serendipity. So today's guest is Sarah Robeson. Hey Sarah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, as I understand it, you had what most people would think was a pretty good job. You were a nurse anesthetist uh, specialising in neurosurgery. And you've been doing that for about 15 years, but then you resigned. Why? (laughs) (laughs) So I say that the trail chose me because I went on a backpacking trip two years ago, anticipating to make some good memories, but not have a calling to do more backpacking. And it really grabbed a hold of me. So it kept chirping in the back of my brain. And then the universe dealt a set of circumstances to me that was handing me the chance for a through hike on a solar platter in terms of logistics. And so I resigned from my position on January 19th of this year. So how does the universe provide you with a silver platter? (laughs) The universe provided me with a silver platter because over a squabble with my landlord over a mouse infestation in the home that I was renting for nine years. Mm -hmm. Um, He wanted me to continue to battle these mice with traps. And I wanted a professional exterminator. And we got into a little dispute and he asked me to leave. And so my things went into storage. And I found myself renting an Airbnb and house hunting. Um, So the things into storage of uh, lot of antiques and a lot of belongings over the years. That was the first step. So how does that fit in with the resignation though? <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm, still on tr- I'm tr- still trying to get, the, uh, get the, the order of things right. When did you actually resign the job? So the um, things into storage and the living in the Airbnb happened in the summer of 2020. Oh. Um, all along thinking like, hmm, this would make it really easy to through hike with um, my things into storage. I am blessed working in a field that is quite easy to 
leave and come back in terms of the need for nurses and nurse anesthetists. So unlike owning my own business or something where it would be like financially devastating or hard to rebuild, I kind of knew that I could leave and return, but I was, I was very much afraid of that. So, yeah. But there must've been a slightly more step because was the resignation just about hiking the AT or was it part of a larger plan to sort of redefine your life? It really was about hiking the AT. And what's interesting is, um, so I had the things in storage. Um, Financially, I made some decisions to be pretty uh, tied up on that end. And so it was, the resignation was standing between myself and getting to Georgia and starting to hike. And um, I, that actually transformed while I was on the trail because I intended to return full time to my position immediately upon returning from the trail. So to answer your question, it really was about hiking the AT. I wanted to do this cool thing logistically, financially, uh, professionally. It was kind of all lining up at the same time. And while on the trail, um, I started to see how the resignation and the freedom and looking at a life without boundaries could allow my life to change in some ways. This, I say, this trial has a lot to answer for, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. <laughs> it change, changes people's perspective of life. For um, sure. But let's, let's go back a bit because you didn't actually know about the trial until about 2019 when you said you went on, you went on some, some hikes then. You didn't even know about the trial then, though, did you? Correct. I was invited with a close friend named Katie um, to go on a section hike of the Appalachian Trail through Maryland and to do Maryland in its entirety. And neither one of us had been backpacking before. All right. But um, thought it would be our next year's adventure and heavily prepared for the trail because I'm a pretty big hypochondriac. So, you know, I was preparing to die. I brought up epinephrine. This is a thing. The pack pack was weighing about 50 pounds. Um, And I I was super prepared. calculated about it. And I thought, you know what, I'll go. I like to car camp, but I've never spent this much time in the woods, but let's add this to my life's resume. And um, I'll probably come back pretty scarred, but let's do it. And um, I first stepped foot on the trail in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, at Penmar Park, and um, wanted to be precise about the border to say I effectively did all of Maryland. And shortly after maybe about 10 yards of being on the trail and i i have multiple photos of this sign there's just the iconic horizontal appalachian trail foot traffic only georgia this way maine this way and i actually said to katie does this thing go all the way from georgia to maine you know i'm on the trail but i actually don't even understand the trail and how far the trail goes at that point so i was pretty hooked pretty instantaneously so you were hooked on it. You enjoyed, the, I presume you enjoyed the Maryland part of the hike as well, did you? I did. So what was it then? Because I think when we talked last time, you said you, you saw a white blaze. So what was it about that white blaze that made you want to end your life and live in the woods for about half a year? Uh, it's the million dollar question. It's like almost hard to articulate. I saw this white blaze. I was completely enamored by the fact that there was a footpath that went nearly the length of our country. And I've always been interested in physical activity that I use my body to get from point A to point B. So um, 
when I like to run and I run, ran a marathon and I like that I get from one point to the other. I've um, ridden my bicycle from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C. And I went like from my front porch to the Capitol. And that just feels really good and self-sufficient to me. So this was like the ultimate quest of that. But I immediately began to understand that I would have to um, completely change my life in order to accomplish this. I would have to resign from work. I would have to give up my home. I would have to pause relationships. And I was very enthralled by that. And I was very enthralled by the commitment that that would take. You're enthralled, but not horrified. I mean, because I is, for some people, it is, it is for some people quite a hor horrific thing to do, to contemplate, isn't it? So the contemplation and my research of it was very exciting. When it came time to actually resign and start hiking, I was petrified. I, I truly feel for me that making that decision and getting to Georgia and doing the things to change my life in order to start was scarier for me than any portion of the actual hike itself. Um, so I feel like, Hey, I've had two successes. My first success was the willingness to do something very outside of the box that many people wouldn't subscribe to. And the second success was reaching Mount Katahdin, but two completely different boxes here. So the thing, the thing of actually starting for me is the, is the victory for a lot of people. What did, the, what did the trail feel like to you when you first started? Did it feel as good as you'd imagine it to be? It was crowded. I had been on three pretty modest section hikes prior to my through hike, and I went on off seasons. Not any Maryland, not any Maryland then? Correct. I did all of Maryland. Never thought I would have the gusto to um, through hike and quit my job. So I thought right. I will just section hike the AT and that's pretty darn cool. So I did two more hikes. My second one was just like the 17 miles. I know people debate over whether West Virginia is three miles or 17 miles, depending on how you look at it. But um, we called it 17. Katie and I went back out and did just a two day trip and did West Virginia. And then my third section hike was to mimic a through hike. And so I wanted a hostel experience. I wanted a resupply. I wanted a zero day, a mail drop. Mm. So we started where we had left off on our second hike in Bluemont, Virginia at Bear's Den Hostel and stayed a night in a hostel in a bunk room. And I was so uncomfortable being nearly turning 40 and having all my things. And I've lived alone for quite some time. And the thought of sharing a bunk room with people I didn't know and using a communal blanket in a communal kitchen, it completely stressed me out. But I was also obsessed with the idea. And I remember sitting on the couch at Bear's Den and that's the I, I would ask questions to Katie and I said, let's Google how much it would cost for me to through hike. And I started getting these like more objective data. And we left Bears Den and we hiked, I think it's about 40 or 50 miles to Front Royal, Virginia. And oh. we stayed at the mountain home um, and cabin in Front Royal, Virginia. So we got another hostel in there. I sent myself a mail drop, did the laundry, went into town and resupplied, got back out and did about another 40 miles into Shenandoah into... Um, Big Meadows campgrounds, and then that's right. where we ended that hike. So, how did that feel? Was it was it a was it something that was 
was it how you imagined it would be or was it imagined or was it how you imagined a through hike would actually be? It was, um, it was how I imagined it would be. It was how I imagined a through hike would be. I felt strong and I felt excited. And when I looked at like shelves of resupply, again, it was this weird dichotomy of like, this is so not like my life at home. And I want to see if I can do this. I want to see if I wanted to buy the spam packets. Like I wanted less option, (laughs) you know? And I remember I was almost hoping that when I left for the third hike, that I would not enjoy being out for that long of a stretch, which was about a week and a half so that that would answer my question for me. So I would be like, okay, I don't like this. I don't have to deal with the decision of whether or not to quit work. Did you want to not like it then? I, I was afraid I'm someone who, um, has grown to being committed to listening to my intuition and Mm -hmm. What I was afraid that my intuition would tell me was that I needed to attempt a through hike, but that also petrified me. So I was hoping that I would not enjoy it. And in my heart, I would feel that a through hike really wasn't for me. And I remember laying in the tent night (laughs) and I said, I know. Right. And I said to Katie, Oh, I'm so uncomfortable. I mean, we've showered once in 10 days. This was great, but I could never through hike. And um, I was lying to myself. I was lying to myself. And so what happened in January is I was either going to through hike or purchase a home. And once I had a 30 year mortgage, this wasn't going to be financially possible. So it wasn't until until January this year that you actually decided for certain to go. January 19th, I made the decision and I left for Georgia on March 16th. But I was over the winter, I would like go look at a house and then I would research headlamps. And then I would like jostle back and forth so that both things remained an option. And um, I have a great working relationship with my managers at UPMC, where I work, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And she just said, you know, I appreciate your honesty and you're up front and we support you. But we need to know by January 31st (laughs) if you're leaving March 1st. And I thought, fair. So um, I actually chose to walk to work on January 19th because I was trialing these new shorts that I purchased just in case I threw height. <laughs> and I wanted to see if they rubbed me in any of the wrong ways. And it was freezing. <laughs> and I had these shorts on. And I had this mental image of me summiting Mount Katahdin and like collapsing onto the sign. And I was like, <sighs> You'll never be, you know, in the proverbial rocking chair in your 80s saying, I really regret that time I threw hike the Appalachian Trail. You of course know? not. Of course so not. No. I walked right into her office <laughs> and I quit. And then resigned. Oh, my I gosh. So, but you'd already seen a photo in Harper's Ferry, hadn't you, of a guy collapsed against a sign. Talk about that because you had a picture which mm-hmm. kind of replicated that, didn't you? Mm-hmm, I did. Um, so after the first section hike that I spoke about when I was in Maryland, um, we ended in Harper's Ferry and I went to the ATC 
And um, I'll never forget the volunteer that was working. Her name was Soups. And mm -hmm. she said, hey, can I help you? Thinking I was looking for like a Nalgene water bottle or a baseball hat. And <laughs> I said, I think you've drawn the short straw. I want to through hike and I don't know how. <laughs> and she was showing me around um, the center. And there was a photo of a man who was on his knees and the photo wasn't um, a very good quality because it was very foggy and rainy. And it was in a sepia tone. And he was kneeling on his backpack to protect his knees. And he was against the sign. I couldn't even see his face, but I was able to read his emotion. And, and it just bled grit and despair and triumph and all of these very powerful things that actually brought tears to my eyes. And, and I really could not let go of the idea of through hiking. After I saw that photo, I thought I want to feel like he feels. So I'm going to, I'm not going to do it now, but I'm going to come back to that photo towards the end. So you did your three through heights, you got started. So let's go back to those early miles. You started in the middle of March, as you said, and you didn't finish till October. Mm -hmm. How did your body react to, say, Georgia, which is a tough start in mm -hmm. North Carolina? Were you, did you get into it pretty quickly or not? I really took my time. I mean, probably um, seven, eight, ten mile days for the first, like, week to week to two weeks. So I was still at that pace throughout Georgia, which is only, um, I believe 77 or 78 miles. Sure. Um, I initially on day one, um, so I'm very, um, I will say like injury prone in terms of like stress fractures and it band issues. So I don't sure. know if it was the wisest choice, but I stopped like running. I stopped lifting my legs. I stopped like putting myself at risk to get hurt. Um, in January and February leading up to my departure. So I think I came out now doing these hills very rusty. And I remember on day one, I had this horrific hip pain. And then on day two, I had horrific knee pain, like, oh, like, gosh. like a nail was driving in and I was <laughs> devastated. I thought I cannot believe that I have just left everything behind and I've gotten hurt on the second day. But, um, I don't recall his name. I was hiking one day with a fellow through hiker that I never saw again after that day. And I was telling him about my knee pain. And he said, I had the same thing. It will go away. Your body is getting used to this. Wake up, pop some ibuprofen and keep going. And all of these like kinks that were working out, I just walked through and I just took it slow and they never like came built into anything major. It was hard. Isn't that an amazing thing about the body, though, how it does it does allow you to go walk, walk through certain pains? I think partially because things start, start hurting elsewhere, don't they? And they override the previous pain. <laughs> For sure. That is so interesting. Two things to say about that. One, I have uh, the blog that I was very committed to, and on it, I was describing these pains. And so because I shared that, a friend reached out, Kelly, and said, hey, like, name your injury, like almost like talk to it, like say, Hey, we're going to get through this, like see it as part of you. Don't see it as your antagonist. Right. And oh, I honestly think that's like therapeutic, you know, to say like, okay, just three more miles and we'll rest, you know? Um, 
I swear I wasn't losing my mind. And, <laughs> and the second thing is to spin off what you just said, which is absolutely it's like you focus on the thing that hurts the most. So next day, if it was like your Achilles, you forgot about your knee. You know? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> There's always something out there. And you meant, and you mentioned the blog. You you started a, a blog straight away, didn't you? Was was that mainly for you? Or were you trying to keep it? Because I think it's important to keep a record of this trip because you do days do tend to merge into one another and so on. Was that something you really were very committed to? was very committed to that. I've never written in an organized way or I've never written publicly, but I've always had a little desire to. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that I take chances and I say yes to things, which leads to some very colorful stories. Um, but prior to the hike, I I felt very self-indulgent just writing about my life and um, I didn't feel comfortable sharing the deciding to through hike the Appalachian Trail, I felt, you know what, this is this is a really good platform to use my voice. And so I did it to try my hand at writing. I did it to keep friends and family at home informed in a more like artful, classy way than social media, like in my own platform. Hmm. Um, and also to keep a record of memories for myself. So it was trifold. Um, and I made, I think, about three or four entries prior to my departure, kind of explaining the whys. And I did um, a lot of breakdown of my gear and whatnot. Mm. Um, and so that was as much of a journey as the hike was and led to it taking 207 days for me to finish because I spent a lot of time writing. Wow. So you you would take a day off specifically to write then? At times, or I would get my chores done in town in, um, you know, a Nero or a near zero uh -huh. half day, but I would end up taking much more additional time because with my posts came about 20 to 30 emails a week of people, mostly strangers, um, mm. with encouragement or with questions or with sharing their own stories. And it was important to me to respond to everyone that wrote to me. It becomes very, very, very much a commitment. I, I remember writing, I was writing my blog when I went in 2014. I, one, I did one post of nearly 5,000 words. Because wow. and, and I suddenly realize how many people will think getting something from this, you know, mm -hmm. and you do feel that feel that commitment. But were you at this time, because you've actually said to me in our previous conversation, you don't actually like hiking that much. <laughs> uh, no. So were you actually having fun at this time? Is, was fun, is fun part of it for you? I um I don't enjoy the actual hike. I've never been on a day hike, nor would I probably be inclined to do one even after through hiking. Same as me. <laughs> I, lo I love having everything I need on my back. I love navigating on my own. I love filtering the water. I love getting to camp and setting everything up. I love sleeping outside. I love being off the grid. Um, but from point A to point B during the day, it's not that I wasn't present. I just don't like the activity of hiking <laughs> with weight <laughs> on my back. <laughs> Another interesting observation you had was that you were hiking with the Tramley for a while and you were enjoying uh -huh. hiking with that Tramley, but you decided deliberately to break up with them. Tell us why you did that. That was 
you know, I, and I hadn't thought of it from the viewpoint you gave me, but I think it's such an interesting point of view. Yes. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't as if there was no negative spin. It wasn't me breaking up with them. And at the time it was only, I was, um, going to part ways with them through the 108 miles of Shenandoah national park. Right. And what's interesting is I just listened to your interview with Shannon Joy Finn and Mm -hmm. she nailed it. I could so relate to what she said. And that is you're out there and you get to a point where you're walking the steps and you're doing the things and you have enough uh, toughitude, I like to call it, to <laughs> be successful in your hike. But there's a codependence that you start to have on your tramily, I believe, more like emotionally rather than physically, like where are we going to resupply next and and where are we going to stay? And I'll get the water and you hang our bear line yeah. and, and you're yeah. all around at camp together. And I felt like I wanted to go there, air quotes. I wanted to feel like it was entirely up to me. Um, my safety and my success was entirely my responsibility. And I really hadn't had that yet because I wasn't uh, a confident enough backpacker at the beginning to have that prior to connecting with my family. And then we truly loved each other so much and such a good group of people that like I didn't want to be apart from them from like a companionship aspect. And Uh, so I felt like because I'd been in the Shenandoahs before and I felt like comfortable with the terrain there. I thought it kind of is like tied up in a bow. I'm just going to go do the Shenandoahs by myself. And it was, it changed my hike in terms of my confidence on the trail, but also um, ways that it's changed my confidence even now that I've returned home in ways of, in ways of thinking. Interesting, because I know you you then hooked up with a young guy and hiked quite a, quite a few of the miles with him. So was he the one who was compromising his hike to hike with you, or were you having to compromise your back to compromise your hike again? It's interesting. So um, his name is Wallflower, and he um, was nice part- name for a guy, but nice name for a guy, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he didn't talk. That's a well earned name. He, he began to come out of his shell, though, for sure. He was part of my original tramley, and after um, we made it through the Shenandoahs, some of the group were going to Hagerstown, Maryland to resupply. I was going to Waynesboro to visit with my parents who were driving down. And from that point on, we kind of were dispersed in these little like twosomes or people would be by themselves. And we were always within like a day or three of one another. Um, Some people had to get off of the trail or chose to. And so we remained like very amicable and in touch with each other's hikes, but we were never all together again. However, Wallflower and I did cross paths again at the end of Shenandoah and Front Royal, Virginia. And it was a nice duo because we have the same moral compass of the hike. We're both very purist in our way that we hiked the miles and didn't want to um, like aqua blaze, yellow blaze. Um, we slapped slap, slap back. One you did time. slap back. Oh, did you? Oh, you slacker. 
<laughs> I know it kills me because I was committed to not slack packing and I was worried about time. And Get over yourself, Sarah. No. It's okay. <laughs> I was, but you know, I mean, if I did it once, I should have done it 30 times. It was of course like you should have done, zero yeah. or nothing. You know, I yeah. slack packed one time in Andover, Maine because I was worried about time. So I thought, I'm going to do a 27 mile day in Southern Maine and slack pack. And the people took my money knowing that that probably wouldn't happen. And uh, <laughs> I made it 13 miles and was like, come pick me up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you carried on, you got, you carried on with Wallflower. You get to get near a Katahdin, but before you got to Katahdin, about five days from the end. So I read this on your blog this morning. You had a bit of a meltdown. Um, and I think it was on rainbow ledges, which is a great spot by the way. So and you even wanted to quit then, didn't you? But that kind of resonated with your thought process about uh, what's, what was can't and what, what you can do, what you can't do. So talk to us about that. I had, I was at a breaking point, understandably so. I am not a fast hiker. And so the difficulty of the terrain in the White Mountains and in Maine, and especially Southern Maine, coupled with now daylight savings and the sun setting much earlier and it getting dark 545, 6 o'clock under sure, tree cover, sure. coupled with my speed. I mean, I was night hiking every single night. Oh, and gosh. um I had to do those miles in order to finish on time. And yeah. it just I wasn't I wasn't enjoying it because I wasn't getting to camp and having an hour to relax and enjoying whatever meal that I prepared and getting a good night's sleep. I mean, I was wrecked. But as soon as soon as you put a deadline and when you want to finish, that gives you those problems, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, and I hate that. I hate the thought that you have to rush. There's that, that expression, last one to Katahdin wins. Mm -hmm. And that is the true, truest of things, isn't it? So how did you pull out of how did you pull yourself out of that? Because you were really, by the description on the blog, you were really pissed. So tell us uh, what you did. I was I was done. And um Wallflower is 20 years younger than me, but all the wiser. He said to me, he saw me sitting there and whether he was a little bit in front or behind me, and I just said, I am done. This is terrible. This is not hiking. This is it. I said, I'm done. I'm literally done. I want to go home. And he was like, okay, well, um, we're in the hundred miles, so you can't go home here. But if, if you want to go home, like as soon as we get to the next logging road, like you can call someone and you can go home. Um, not being serious and not being snide, almost just saying like, if that's how you feel, that can happen. And he certainly built me up with like, I understand you can do this, like you're strong and all the positivity. But as soon as like someone calls you out and says, <laughs> okay, like if you want to hike 200, 2,180 of the 2,193.1 <laughs> miles and quit. Like, I'll call you a cab, you know? Yeah, and I yourself did, out. Yeah. So I was like, no, fine, you know, and kept going. <laughs> oh dear. So, so you eventually climbed Katahdin with Wallflower. Um, and I've still got, I'll come back to that picture that you saw mm -hmm. of the guy leaning down on the sign. Mm -hmm. What did you feel? What were you expecting to feel at the sign? And then what did you feel at the sign? Um, 
it couldn't have went um, better in terms of I was expecting to feel kind of blank Mm -hmm. because I was so physically and emotionally exhausted, um, empty. And I, I was afraid that I would get there and stare at it and be kind of emotionless and say like, wow, I thought I would feel something and I'm not. Um, but I just thought I can't control how I'll feel. Um, I, so I was expecting to kind of feel not as much as I had hoped. And then when I saw the sign, um, I was alone, um, Wallflower and I and two other through hikers kind of were leapfrogging each other on the way up the mountain. But I made it a point to say, you know, go ahead. I want to like approach it by myself. Sure. And um, I did. And I saw it. And before, um, you know, I went up the gateway and you have that last little climb and then you're on a mostly flat portion for maybe 10 or 20 yards and I saw it and I was, I was audibly wailing. I could not catch <laughs> my breath. Um, wow. And I wanted to like be as close to it as possible. Like, sure, I got the iconic picture standing up with my trekking poles in the air. But um, that was much later. I wanted to like feel that sign as much as I could. And so I just laid on it and ironically looked very similar to the man's photo that I saw on Harper's Ferry because I had to throw my pack down to protect my knees and also to give me enough height to be able to lay my chest on it. Um, And there were quite a few day hikers up there that day. I'm talking like 20 to 30 day hikers because it was a beautiful 60 degree sunny day. And um, I could kind of hear them not understanding why I was so emotional. <laughs> and I, crazy woman. <laughs> I, I kept hearing them say like, did you, did, did she do like the whole thing? Like, you know, and um, it was really beautiful because they, you know, took our photos and there was one group of four friends that goes on like a random climb every fall and they were nice. out. And when we came down the hill, we went up hunts and we went down the A-ball trail and uh, this we needed to hitch back to um, Catan like Stream Campground to I'll get from the, our, like, the bottom of the A-ball trail. Yeah. Right. And um, this guy was there and here he was the one that saw me so emotional. And he said, hey, like my name is Scott. And I was up there and I just want to say like what a pleasure it was to witness your emotion and it made me emotional and I haven't been able to get you out of my head. And so here, um, unintentionally, another like a day hiker saw my reaction just as I had seen someone else's reaction two years prior. And mm. like it was mind blowing that I was filling those shoes. And then I said, that's great or whatever. And I was like, can you give us a ride to Katahdin Street <laughs> Campground? And he sure did. And uh, now he's a follower of the blog as well. So that was really so, beautiful. So what's the plan going forward? Are, are you are you gone back to being an anesthetist, I understand? Is that what you're going I have back? not yet. Um, All right, okay. I got back. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I returned right on Halloween. I took my time coming home and did some sightseeing. 
my plan is to return to anesthesia in about a month or two, um, mm -hmm. part time. And so I am going to re-sculpt my budget and my outgoing costs in order to essentially make half as much money. Um, my future looks like more happiness and less stress and less obligation. And I want to have more control over my time here at home. And I know on the trail, mm. we have complete control of our time. Sure. But when you look at a life without boundaries and don't look at it so analytically, we really can do anything if we do it responsible. And so I'm going to maintain my practice and take care of, of patients, which brings me great joy and satisfaction. And then I'll be working two days a week. And with the other days, I want to um, develop my writing. I want to look into publishing. I want to use my voice. I want to continue to have the human experience. So potentially working at a bookstore or um, whipping up lattes to be able to connect with people in the community, just like I did on the trail. And um, It's funny, you know, I always tell people to be careful what they wish for. You know, they, they never know how they're going to come off that mountain, do they? And no. they don't know what they're going to be like when they get down there. And clearly it's impacted you a lot. And I've read a few of your blog entries this morning. You write really well, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I just appreciate you coming on the show and telling us about it and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk with you. Okay, take it easy, okay? Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. What a thoughtful, deliberate woman she is. When I was editing that conversation, I was drawn back into it and I found new things that I don't recall taking in from when we were recording. And yet again, this has had an impact upon her life that she may not have been expecting. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. Now, another member for the class of 2022. Dom Tomorrow is about the same age I was when I first hit the trail eight years ago. It's his time. And as you'll hear, he cannot wait. His Dom. Well, today's guest and the next member of the class of uh, 2022 is Dominic or Dom tomorrow. Hey, Dom, how are you? Good. How are you, Steve? I'm good. And uh, you're kind of excited. You look very, I mean, we haven't spoken before. You look very laid back. So are you kind of relaxed about going on the hike next year or are you getting kind of excited? Uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. I'm pretty excited. But um I'm pretty relaxed about it. I think that, that, uh, you know, my approach is, uh, one of your guests at one point a long time ago said, well, it's a race to Katahdin and the last one wins. That's right. And, I, and I'm very much in that, in that camp, you know, I don't want to overdo it and I really want to stop and smell the roses, but I am getting excited. The, you know, I'm down to under four months to go. And, uh, <laughs> have you got one of those countdown clocks on your phone? That's a pretty no, good thing I, to have. I've thought about doing that. I, I haven't uh, I haven't put that on yet. Right. So when are you planning to start then, Dom? So I, I registered my hike with the ATC um, on March 23rd. Right. That's, I started March the 22nd first time. And have you got any ideas when you think about, or have you considered when you're going to finish? Or you, you're one of these people who does a spreadsheet and knows where you're going to be at the end of every day? So I, I, uh, I definitely have a spreadsheet. Of course you um, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, the, mostly the spreadsheet is, is I, I really want to start slow and 
I also want to make sure that, uh, you know, I've done a bunch of hiking in the White Mountains. And so I know right. that that's going to wow. take, that's going to take me a long time. So I just want to make sure that going at the pace that I anticipate going, which is on the slow side, that I'll be able to make it in time. So if I start March 23rd, I'm hoping to be done by the end of September. Exactly what happened to me. So, you know, if I could do it, trust me, you could do it as well. So you've done the White Mountains, you've done some hiking in the White Mountains. So you do know that slows you down. And and of course, when you do the White Mountains from scratch, which I presume you must have done if you go straight into the White Mountains, you're not warmed up. You know, this is what you're doing for the first 17 or 1800 miles is definitely a warm up for the White Mountains and Maine. Oh, yeah, I'm, I would say I'm the opposite of warmed up. And uh, I'm, a, <laughs> you know, I think you could measure my speed in uh, hours per mile. <laughs> nice, nice. So, you, and, and I know you have some hiking experience. You've done the Camino de Santiago. You did that with your daughter in yeah, 2015. Yep. And do you know what? I, I, I've often said on, on the show that I think the, doing the Camino with somebody you love, which you obviously love your daughter. I love. I went with my niece, who I love as well, is a special thing to do, isn't it? I don't think I'd like to do on the big long distance trails with somebody I love because I think we get on each other's nerves. But the Camino is a wonderful way to do it, don't you? It, it was great. And we we uh, we hiked with a, a variety of, of people throughout the whole six weeks that we were out there or five weeks sure. that we were out there. Sure. And we're still in touch uh, with some of them. And uh, and it was great. It was sort of the this extraordinary cultural immersion. We got to meet a lot of folks. And I think it gave her... Uh, she was, uh, I want to say, 18, 17 at the time. Nice, nice. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she didn't hate me yet. And uh, <laughs> um, and it was great. It was, I think, it exposed her to a lot of uh, different people. It gave her a lot of confidence. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it did. I think it's a great experience to do. So what are you doing now to prepare physically with four months to go? So, you know, my, my initial thought was uh, I was going to start changing my work hours to go part-time and that that hasn't oh, wow. worked out that well but and you're a physician I, you're a physician aren't you that's correct right and um so people are going to die as a result of you giving up work is that right no <laughs> long you kind of this hike <laughs> i have a great group of uh of colleagues and they're going to take care of things while i'm away all right okay but, good political uh, answer <laughs> what's that <laughs> good, good, political, good political answer <laughs> i have to say they have been nothing short of extraordinarily uh supportive this coming weekend a couple of my partners and i are going down on a shakedown hike out in western rhode island nice um, nice but what about the the i mean what are you thinking about the physicality if you've done the white mountains you're probably okay anyway i mean you're you're kind of big guy like me i guess uh, and looking at you looking at you two, two of us probably got a bit more pounds than we need oh absolutely um, and, and so are you hoping to drop some of those pounds before the hike or are you or you or as i did you're going to bulk up before you go <laughs> oh, no. I have no trouble bulking up. It's the it's the bulking down that uh, oh, right, that yeah. I struggle yeah. with. But that you know, I I yes, I'm I'm counting on it. I started the thing that that I figured the the pounds will come off as I as I walk. Again, I take it slow. I take it within sure. my my ability. The thing that I started doing is yoga. Um, oh really? Wow. Because I feel like. You know, there was a time when I was coming down southbound off of Mount Madison. And, and you know, that's just a big that's, pile of rocks. That's tough, yeah. And, and my trekking pole got caught and I took a spill. Um, all I did was scrape up my knees, but it, 
it could have been much worse. And I, and coming down that day, I was thinking about making sure I, I worked on my balance, my coordination and balance. Cause I think that, that lessens as you get older. And so, yes. uh, yoga is, a, I think a great way to, uh, to kind of restore that. So have I've you seen started, improvements? Have you seen improvements since you've been doing it then? A little bit, a little bit. Mostly the, cool. what I've seen is the soreness go away after the, the sessions, you know, All some right. sessions are, are pretty mellow, you know, and I could fall asleep during them and, <laughs> and others, uh, absolutely kick my butt. So how are you preparing mentally though? You don't, you're the physical side and doing yoga, I think it's a great idea by the way. So what about mentally? What are you doing for that? Or are you just thinking, are you just constantly reaffirming your ability to do this stuff? Well, I think that's what the shakedown hikes are for. They're, I mean, they're a little bit to test out gear. I have one of the, the Garmin InReach Mini that I'm learning how right. to use. Right. Um, and I want to go there knowing how to use the gear that I have. But I think the shakedown hikes are more, you know, am I going to, I'm fine in the rain, you know, if the, if the, Rain's coming down for a day. I'm I'm pretty okay with that. You could if get it for a week. If it's three or four or a week, then I I don't know. So uh, <laughs> it's tough. It is tough. Yeah. Um, and that I don't know. I'm not going to go for a shakedown hike uh, for a week in the rain, but I'll go for a few in the rain and and see how I do. Yeah, I think cool. I think mostly it's being aware that it's it's not all the highlight reel. Right, it's it's uh, no, it's not. It's, it's it, the highlight reel will stay with you forever. The low light reel, you you'll get rid of your pass over it. There's plenty on the low light reel. Trust, trust me. You yeah, know? you know, but my, you know what? that's that's all part of it, though. It really is. Yeah, my my big, you know, the one thing that that I fear I fear maybe too strong a word, but the one thing I fear is is descending in the rain. I think yes. that is of all the things that could go wrong. That's the thing yeah. that I I yes. think I take the greatest care with. Yeah, roots and rocks. Oh my gosh, no, there's, there's roots, rocks, and rains. A winning combination. Yeah. So, is your are you packed yet? By the way, because <laughs> I know a lot <laughs> of people actually have actually got their kit packed four months out or a year year out. What about you? Have you no. dialed your equipment in? For the most part, I haven't actually physically packed it. Although I, I will pack it and test it out for uh, of for my yes. shakedown hikes. Yeah. And what about support? You you've mentioned the support of your your colleagues, your family. Are they on side with you doing this, or they think this is a sensible thing? They think you're crazy. I mean, what are they going to do to support you? Uh, so, uh, my my wife has has um has come to terms with me doing this and setting out on my own. And when okay. I show her the the ATC ADC camp, when I show her the number of people that are starting. Sure. around that time and i'm starting right in the middle of the bubble she's more yeah. reassured that it's going to be like a, a crowd all walking together get to call me i, I i'll put a reminder rest of that no no worries at all because all right. you you can be as alone as you wish on this trail or you could be a pain in the ass to everybody else on the trail by being with them all the time you know there, there are so many things you can do it's such a long journey you know, yeah. there will, there'll be times when you'd be by yourself sometime. There'll be times when you'd be with a lot of people. If you choose to be with a lot of people, you can do that anytime you like. So I wouldn't, I'd tell her not to worry about that too much. And yeah. what do you, and what about resupply? Is she going to resupply your boxes or are you going to try to resupply from the trail? Cause it is, is easy to resupply on the trail. Yeah. And I think I'm going to do a little bit of both. I, um, okay. you know, I, I've uh, played around with some recipes. We have a dehydrator. I'm going to, we're planning on maybe half the time she's going to send me boxes. And, you know, when I need to, I'll just go into town and resupply there. This way I'm not, I, I don't want to be 
rigidly adhering to a schedule yeah. that I'm going to yeah. need to get to a post office or something like that. But I do want some of that because I, you know, when, when I look at what people are eating on the trail, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, concerning. Root rocks, rain and ramen. Right. What you think is concerning will be haute cuisine by the end. Trust me on this. <laughs> <laughs> You may call it concerning. You're going to love it. I tell you, you know, I, I still think the biscuits and gravy. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. So, what do you, what are you most looking forward to on the trail? There are things, obviously, you know, that, that there are highlights in places to go. But are there things you've thought about? You think I'm really looking forward to that part of this hike. You know, I'm looking. I'll tell you honestly, I'm looking forward to to two things. I'm looking forward to getting some experience hiking in the southeast. Um, right, I think the Southern Appalachians, I, you know, I don't have any experience there, but going through the Smokies and Shenandoah, I, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah. I'm also looking forward to hiking in in the northern part while I'm fit because I haven't had yes. that experience yet. That's that's going to be interesting for you. It's still not fast. You know, what? however well you're doing, however fast you may suddenly speed up to and how many miles you're doing, oh, my gosh, the White, the white Mountains kick your butt. I don't care if you've done 1,700 miles. That's why I can never understand the South Mountains, you know, <laughs> Good, yeah. because you really will be warmed up for it then. But it will slow you right down. We, I remember we were really fit. I remember in 2014 we were doing – we had, we did an 11-mile day once, which took us over Franconia region, so on, mm -hmm. which is magnificent, of course. Um, and that 11-mile day, I think it took us about 11 or 12 hours to do. And we were fit by then. Yeah. Oh, we fit, we yeah. thought we were. Yeah, so yeah, I, that's interesting. So you're going to hit you're going to hit the southern. Sorry, you're going to hit the the north and New Hampshire and Maine. So I'm, as a fit person, you've not done that. That'd be, that'd be quite interesting. Yeah, I think you're yeah. gonna, you're, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Let me tell you. Um, and if that's what you're most looking forward to, what are you least looking forward to on the trail? Uh, you know, I'm I'm least looking forward to. Um, I think what I not not a, a location uh, so much as as what I said descending from uh, high peaks in the rain as it comes. I probably am least looking forward to uh, the rocks of Pennsylvania <laughs> as, a, as a location. You'd be surprised how much you enjoy Pennsylvania in the end. We've always given it such a bad rap. Expectations are so low for it. Yeah. And yet there's some great great places to go to in, in Pennsylvania. So we, we always give it a hard time, but, you know, it's a great place. You know what? The trail is great as it is. I wouldn't want them to take Pennsylvania out of the trail at all. It is a wonderful, wonderful journey as it is. And have you thought about a trail name yet? Have you taken one or are you what are you, what are you thinking? I think uh uh the trail will provide. Okay. I haven't uh <laughs> I'll take my chances. Brave man. <laughs> you know you you know you don't have to accept it, do you? <laughs> no, I know, I know. And you know, yeah. I, I uh People have proposed uh, Sir Snores a lot or things like that. So uh, nice. Was that your wife? No. <laughs> <laughs> no she oh, no, she dear. might. She has some other names that I won't share oh, here. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm excited for you. I say every every one of these recordings I've done, I've spoken to people who are going next year. I'm jealous for all of you. You know, you're going to have just the most amazing venture. I know you are venture. I know you are because I have both my my hikes so however good bad it, or the weather is what i'd like you to do if you could is to 
report back in every couple of months or every couple of weeks rather and let me know how you're doing send me a text I'll, offline i'll give you my phone number send me a text and we'll I will jump on the phone and i'll speak to you when you're just about to enter the smokies or or something you know so we can keep a track of your hike as you're going on all right i would i would love that i think that'd be a lot of fun okay man well look best of luck and uh, we'll speak soon okay all right thanks a lot steve and thanks for doing this podcast this is you've been uh what an amazing amount of endurance. You're at almost 300 episodes. 300th episode is this week, yeah. And I'm doing so, something very different. <laughs> and, and if I can say one thing, one of the sure. things that I think is is important about what you do is that you make every guest, and this is a skill. As someone who interviews a lot of people, this is a skill. Yeah. You make every guest feel like or or appear to really have a unique experience that's valuable and what a great thing to share and you just bring it out of them that's a real talent so thanks for i appreciate that. that it's really nice by the way everybody i didn't tell him to say that <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. okay man boy look i'll speak to you soon and best of luck and i'm just say i'm jealous of you so enjoy enjoy your time out there all right thanks a lot steve cheers then bye cheers bye-bye i tell you i'm jealous these people are about to experience something they've read about, they've heard my guests talk about, and yet nothing informs you so much as actually doing that thing you've been dreaming about for years. Dom and all the class of 2022 hikers are going to be living their dream very soon indeed. Thanks this week to our donors as ever. This week, seven of our monthly donors have kindly stuck with us. They are Jessica Diaz, Melanie Swisher, Michelle Brown, Hugh Ickrath, Kevin Eastman, Justin Mullins and Anne Hinton. Thanks to all of you for showing such loyalty to our efforts. If you'd like to help keep us going, please click on any one of the donate buttons on the hikingradionetwork.com website and I will be forever grateful. Now, we've heard from Dom and he's not ready to head out just yet, but Chuck Hayes is ready. Chuck posted on YouTube a funny Christmas Day video. I'll have it in the show notes. So I called him and asked him to come on the show and tell us how he's feeling, just a few days shy of stepping off at Emicolola. Here's Chuck. Okay, today um, we're going to have our first catch-up with somebody we've already interviewed. This is Chuck Hayes. Hey, Chuck, how are you? Doing pretty good, Steve. How are you today? Well, I'm good, and I saw on Facebook today you posted, you crazy man, on Christmas Day, a video. So tell me what that was all about, because it's fascinating. I kind of liked it. Yeah, I was just, uh, you know, I had a couple of things that I wanted to do. I just wanted to inject a little bit of humor in it. We relocated to the mountains to uh, have Christmas with my daughters. And from here, we'll leave and go to uh, Springer Mountain on the 30th. All right. You know, so I just wanted to do kind of a follow up. And I knew also, too, that I hadn't um, told everybody what I was going to be eating. So I just put a couple of pieces together just to give everybody a little update of what was going on. And Christmas Day seemed like the thing to do. Yes, certainly did. And you were, you were there in your shorts. What was the temperature up there? You know, it wasn't too bad. Like right now, I'm down on the Watauga River, actually standing down beside it. And it's probably about oh, right. 50, 50, 55 degrees. So it's not bad. Nice. When we first yeah, arrived, not bad at all. Yeah, when we first arrived, it was in the 30s. But then the temperature has just gone up. So it's getting up in the 60s in the daytime. Um, and it hasn't been raining that much either. You know, there's been a, you know, in the Smoky Mountains, there's been, 
you know, the smoke from the Smoky Mountains. But uh, other than that, it's really been pretty pleasant. Of course, the water's on the river still cold. But Yeah, yeah. Well, you weren't, you weren't planning on going swimming, were you? <laughs> well, I, well I, 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 I may I, do I, that. I may do that. <laughs> post it on there for you guys. <laughs> well, I urge everybody to go and have a look at Chuck's video because it's quite amusing, quite amusing in certain places. Uh, and you know what I mean, Chuck. Um, especially yeah. <laughs> what, what you said you were going to take with you. That was quite good. Um, so now you are literally just a few days out. How do you feel? I'm, I'm so excited. I'm really excited. Uh, it, it turns out that uh, one of my buddies is going to walk it with me. And then I also had another guy reach out, uh, Subman, and he says that he's starting on the first of January too. So I look forward wow. to I look forward to seeing him on the trail as well. And he, after his comment, he put a couple of spaces, and then it said slow mo. So I don't know if that means I'm walking really slow, so don't mess with me or whatever. But I look forward to seeing him either way. Yeah, you know, as we've often talked about on the show, you got it's your hike. You know, you got to set the pace that you want and you're comfortable with. Are you, are you are you starting to get at all nervous, or or is this now because it's approaching now you're you're in a kind of zen frame of mind you can't wait to get started i'm i'm, I'm like that you know it's a little, little jittery but in a very positive enthusiastic type of way you know i'm i'm i find myself just smiling you know big grin ear to ear <laughs> can't wait to get out there and start freezing <laughs> and we and we spoke a few uh, a couple of weeks ago now so probably over a month ago in fact so have you made any changes to your gear or you're really fully dialed in now I think I'm pretty dialed in. Um, in that one one video that I put out, I was about 27 pounds. I think I'm going to be a little bit lighter than that because I've had mm. some folks uh, come back and you know give me some comments that were really positive, and I, and I think I'm going to make some minor changes. I don't think it'll reduce it significantly, but um, they but they were they were really good uh, comments that I've been receiving on the YouTube channel. All right, as you as you I think there's somebody. I, and I may be wrong here. Um, we have one other person that we're following. I think is also going on the first. So uh, uh, I, I need to check out check out the because I've done quite a few interviews and so on. But um, I love the fact that we've been able to catch up with you before you go. And I think it might be quite nice, especially as you're one of the early ones, very earliest to go, for you to just get back in touch next week, or we'll get in touch with you obviously next week. Give us give us a text, and we'll see what your first impressions are. Yeah, sure will. But I really look forward to it. Okay, buddy. Well, look, you just, you know, once again, when I interviewed you, I said I'm jealous. You know, this is something that is so awesome. I'm not jealous of you going that time, by the way, but this is something so awesome. You're going to have a wonderful time. So all I can say is just enjoy it. Um, keep in touch. And I just wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, my friend. I really, really appreciate it. You take it easy, all right? All righty. Cheers then. Bye. Bye. getting real now isn't it <laughs> some of you don't catch up with the show for a few days after it's released and chuck will be on his way if you're listening to the podcast after new year's eve how exciting for him as i say we may well catch up with him again next week if only to see if he's regretting his early start best of luck chuck just before we get on to a pretty dramatic part chapter from winston porter's passing through i wanted to share some i guess kind of housekeeping stuff with you in March, my girlfriend Dana and I are going over to the UK to tour England, Ireland, Wales and Scotland for three weeks. I'm introducing her to my family and she's always wanted to visit the UK, so we've been saving hard to make it happen. Then Dana will be heading home and I'm hiking the West Highland Way and Hadrian's Wall Path in Scotland for the next two weeks. So, I'm going to be away for five weeks in all. Now, 
You know I asked for suggestions for a next book to read, and thanks for some of those, by the way. Well, I've decided to finish out Winton Porter's book over the next two or three weeks and then wait until I return to the US to start another one. I'll still have a show, it will still have great guests, and I'll preload these shows before I leave. I'll probably do a final catch-up with all of our Class of 2022 hikers before I go and put them all together in that first week while I'm away. After that, the show will feature probably just the main interview until I return. I try to make it work out and front-load fuller episodes, but it really isn't practical, and I'm sure you're all going to give me a pass and allow me to have that break. I will be podcasting my Scottish hikes, and if I can work out how to do that while I'm away... You may hear those when I'm actually out there, but I can't promise. Of course, I'll keep you all informed over the coming weeks. I hope that's all clear, so let's move on to this first part of Chapter 18, when another unforgettable character enters the cast at Mountain Crossings. I'll see you next week. Chapter 18. Swingers in the Crosswinds Long before Mountain Crossings became my home, it was the home, the Owenessa, of the Cherokee. They worshipped on this mountain, survived on its bountiful supply of food and bathed under the 105-foot cascade of Notley Falls, located less than 500 yards away on the northern slope below my shop, but still hidden from today's crowds of tourists and hikers. The Cherokee considered the mountain a vortex of spiritual energy and the home of the Cherokee windwalkers. According to law, it was their job to hang the moon every night. It has been said that the energy that moves through the streams, the grasses, the leaves of the old oaks, the pines and the locusts is like a centrifuge for harmonising the soul. Over the years, having learned that harmonising your soul is not the same thing as making it predictable, I've come to think that this is true. This being the rural south where people seek all sorts of paths to grace, I'm often asked to think about miracles. And what I think is that if the snake handlers, the layers of hands and the speakers in tongues are right about anything, it's this. Miracles always look funny at first. Strange is normal, normal is strange, I've taken a saying about the shop. It's the strange ones, the calmly, peacefully strange ones, who have got the harmonised souls. They may not be beautiful or lovable or even very smart, but they have something to teach you just the same. Will Sisko, a.k.a. Storyteller, from Toms River, New Jersey, might have been one of those souls. He hiked into our store in the early summer, complaining of hurt knees. The hostel was full when he arrived, so he put him down at the cabin. He hung out there for a couple of weeks, but it didn't take him more than a few days to make an impression, to fit himself into the life of the shop. Wet, I don't think Will weighed more than 145 pounds. I never saw him without his camouflage flat cap with a pencil sticking out of the brim which accentuated his big ears and long nose. His demeanour, his boyish slenderness and the short black as coal beard neatly etched on his face made him look younger than his age, 52. He had three talents. He was a handyman, a baker and a talker and he pursued them energetically. He was in motion all the time, going here, chattering there, fixing this or that. If his hands or feet weren't moving, his mouth was. He remains one of the most talkative persons I have ever met, and he wasn't very good at resting his injured knees. When he did stand still, he could be found in a crowd of people spinning a tale of his adventures while living in Yosemite during the late 70s and early 80s. There were two stories he told me the very day he arrived, and I heard them again more than once before he was gone. 
The first came from the summer of 1976, when he camped in Little Yosemite Valley near Half Dome and Nevada Falls. It was in midsummer in 76, and I had been in Yosemite for a little over two months already, trying to hike as many trails as I could before someone decided it was way past the two weeks you're allowed to stay. One evening, I found myself sharing a camp, having coffee in a joint with three fellows. Two of them were brothers, and the third was a lifelong friend. One brother got around to telling me that they had some LSD and that he was going to take some the next day and climb to the top of Half Dome and dance a jig on the edge of the cliff. I told him, I'm looking at a dead man, and of course he just laughed at that. He said goodbye to me the next morning, saying he'd see me at dinner time, then he climbed Half Dome and danced right off the cliff to his death. The other two came back without him. The ranger had to go out looking for the body and he asked me if I could stick around the next day and keep an eye on the campground for him. He also asked if I would mind giving some friends of his their food drop, which was locked in his cabin. The next afternoon, the ranger's friends came looking for him, and they found me, so I took them up to his cabin and gave them their food supplies. And as I'm walking back to camp, a man comes racing up the trail. He's frantic, wants to know where the ranger was. I told him he was out on a search and rescue, and asked him what was wrong, at which point he told me his buddy had cut his kneecap off with a hatchet. I told him to get back to camp, that I would help them. I still hadn't gotten out of my head what I said to that dead kid a couple of nights before. I'm talking to a dead man. I was still replaying it over and over, thinking that my words had doomed him. So we go running for the campsite as fast as we can. When we get there, I see a dozen or so people around, just looking at the guy, not doing a damn thing, except holding a shirt over the wound to stem the bleeding. I push through the crowd to take a closer look at his leg. There's this chunk of bone stuck in this mess, this flap of flesh that's hanging on by about a half inch of skin. It looked like a half moon and was about the size of my palm. He had almost amputated the entire kneecap of his left leg. I told some people to start boiling water and asked him how this had happened. He said he and his buddies had brought a bunch of bottles of wild turkey with them. He had been drinking, then he decided to chop some firewood. So, being fairly drunk at that point, he decided to hold the wood he was chopping with his knee and cut right next to it with his hand hatchet. Missed the wood, got his knee instead. I explained that he needed surgery immediately or he would probably lose the kneecap and that outside help was at least eight hours away, probably more. I told him he had two options. First option, I could clean and dress the wound and hope that later on they might be able to do something for him, with the understanding that he would probably lose the kneecap. The other option was for me to sew it back in place, hoping that this would preserve it so a doctor could fix it properly later. He said, do whatever it takes so I told his friends to hold him and pour another pint of wild turkey down him. While that was taking place, I grabbed this big fellow who was standing there, pulled him to the side, asked if he threw a good punch. He said that when he was in the service, he was the unit's boxing champ. I told him that when I was ready, I would give him the nod, and at that point, he should knock out my patient. I was carrying a curved upholstery needle and some nylon thread for pack repairs. I washed my hands and sterilised that needle, the thread and my toothbrush sterilised it with more whiskey. Then I gave the boxer the nod and he hauled off with a roundhouse punch that knocked the guy right off the log and out like a light. The surgery goes like this. I take two more bottles of turkey and start dumping it onto the knee, using my toothbrush to scrub around the wound. I know tendons are cut, but I don't know what goes with that. I try to match them up as best I can, studying the cuts one at a time. It was like working with a toothpick-sized puzzle then trying to stitch the toothpick together. After I finished with the tendons, I sewed the cap of the knee back on. It took 56 stitches. When I was done, I sat back on a rock. I could feel the adrenaline flushing through my body. And you know what I said? 
I said, I need a joint and a drink. In the morning, the rangers arrived, shot the guy up with Demerol, put an inflatable splint on him and hauled him out on a mule. He was high as a kite and laughing. That was the last I ever saw of him. Five, six months later, in early December, and we're working at the Awani Hotel in the park when a ranger calls the kitchen and asks to speak with me. He told me it was down at the south entrance and four guys were entering the park and that they were looking for a guy named Will who fit my description. He wanted to know, did I have a beef with anyone? No, I didn't, I said. Tell them where to find me. They showed up at the back door of the kitchen two hours later. As it turned out, it was the brother and some friends of the fellow I'd done knee surgery on. They were in the park for ten days during school break. His brother said that he figured I would still be around after all this time and he wanted to show his appreciation for saving his knee. Turns out he sent them with $200, a big bag of good weed and a camera to prove that they had found me. They had to bring back either the money and the weed or a picture of me. I rearranged my schedule to play tour guide for their stay and they whined and died me well. They told me that when the brother reached the hospital and finally saw a doctor, the doctor wanted to know why the surgeon had used sewing thread on him. To which his reply was, the surgeon was some 20-year-old kid who did that up on the trial. The doc told him it looked like a professional had worked on him and ordered his family doc to wait at least two weeks to remove the stitches. He said he couldn't have done a better job himself. Let me tell you, that sure made my day, to hear what high praise the doc had for my work. The other story Will told the day I met him was a parable about choosing to live or die. Maybe he saw a chance to relieve his soul of an unwanted weight. Maybe this was just his opening act in every place he went to. Remembering Will, I see now that I never entirely believed, strictly speaking, anything he told me. But then, he was a storyteller, not a journalist. Demanding historical accuracy of him would have been missing the point. His stories had a kind of sideways wisdom in them, whether they were true or not. I don't recall asking Will if he had ever attempted suicide. Now, I don't know how the subject ever came up, as we'd known each other for only about 15 minutes at that time. Winton, I like you. I've got a good sense of people. I like you too, Will. You seem like a nice guy. You know where I was a year ago? I was sitting on top of a 12-foot ladder in the woods near my home in Jersey, with one end of a rope tied around my neck and the other end tied to a tree. I must have sat on that ladder for five, maybe eight minutes, trying to get the courage to jump off. You see, my wife and I had been married for over 25 years, and she wanted a divorce. She ran off with one of my best friends. But that's not what bothered me. He was a nice guy. Anyway, eventually, I did get the courage. I jumped off. The ladder kicks out. I start the fall. The rope pulls tight. And then the rope snapped. I hit my face flat against the ground. Divine intervention, maybe, I said. Maybe, not sure. I busted my nose pretty good. It was the stupidest thing I've ever done. But you know what I did next? I give up. What? I got up, dusted myself off, and decided to go for a walk. That's why I'm here, standing in front of this counter. I proposed a moral for the story. When you're at the end of your rope, you go for a hike, I told him. I suppose you're right, Will said. It's funny, the sort of luck that keeps you holding on to life, you know. One day, I sew a man's knee on with an upholstery needle. The next day, I can't even tie a knot. Will the surgeon is one story I'm not going to forget. He told it to me a few days before John, Jennifer's ex-boyfriend, killed himself. I'm at the register with Buddy. We're watching Jen do her best to calm down a short, fat, angry woman who came in a few minutes ago and has been stamping in tight circles with a waggling finger in the air, giving out a story in fragments slipped in between curses and pauses to yank her undersized polyester stretch pants up over her hips. Her makeup of purples and pinks makes her face look bigger and her golden earrings are half as big around as dinner plates. 
She says her man ran out on her at Vogel State Park. I don't trust him. Oh, could you get me a couple of those Snickers bars? And throw in a bag of M&Ms with peanuts. Oh, and I'll take this Diet Coke. I think he's left me. Lord God Almighty, heaven help that man if he left me. Why do you say that? Jennifer asks with a curious lift of a brow and a half grin. I just don't trust him. Never really have. I know he's left me. I've been waiting here for three hours. He said he would only be out hiking for two hours. I just don't trust him or his little demon son who hates my guts. Would you mind calling Vogel State Park and have them check on Campsite 43 and make sure that my trailer is still there? I just know they left me. Certainly they just wouldn't have picked up everything and left you there. We could probably find you a ride to Vogel. It's only three miles down the hill, said Jennifer. You don't know him, sugar. I've been married three times. I know a thing or two about men. I don't need men no more anyways. Just give me a box of chocolate and some batteries. That's all the pleasure I need, honey. Really? Wow, that's awesome. A box of chocolates. Cool, said Jennifer, trying to hold back laughter. That's right. You got the number to Vogel? Who knows? They may be packing up all that crap he brought into this bug-infested forest right now. How do you stand it up here, girl? Jennifer happily agrees to make the phone call. While she's dialing, Billy, who's standing by the door, waves me over. Look at this guy about across the street. What in the hell does he have over his shoulder? Careful with your words. To me, it looks to be about a hundred pounds of wooden cross. No shit. Heaven help us. You're right. It's a cross. The bearer of the cross is very tall, over six feet four, in his mid-twenties, with long, curly, mocha-brown hair and as skinny as a toothpick. He's wearing a pair of green boxer shorts, sandals and no shirt. He has a small knapsack on his back and a yellow stuff sack dangling from the top of the cross. He looks on the verge of collapse when he walks into the parking lot, and the expression on his face is one of regret. The hand-built cross is made of two large pieces of landscape timber. Fastened to the bottom, like the punchline of a bad joke, is a six-inch rubber wheel. You want to ask him or should I? says Billy. I don't think we have to ask him what he's doing. By the expression on his face, I would bet a hundred dollars that he's done doing it. Billy chuckles. I think you're right. Hey, Crucifix, you made it. We were getting a little worried shouts an older man standing on the gravel pathway. Crucifix gives an upward nod of his head and acknowledges the voice. He slowly walks over to the grass by the mailbox, rolls the heavy cross off his shoulder and watches it crash to the ground. He stands there looking at it for a couple of moments, then tosses his pack beside the cross and kicks at the grass. Looking up, he flips the brown curls from his eyes, exposing a fuller view of a dirty, sharp-jawed face. He explores the landscape with his eyes, looking left, right, up and finally turning around, as if he's looking for an escape route. He leans down, reaches into his pack and pulls out his water bottle, which is empty, and walks toward the stairs. Well, Billy, he's headed your way. Now's your chance to get his story for that little journal of yours. I know that story, Billy says. Heard it a million times. Before I can respond, Will walks up with his mouth, going a mile a minute. Excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt you, Winton. But he got a lot more plumbing problems down there in that rental cabin than just a leaky toilet. Whoever built that thing put quarter-inch piping in there, and they should have used half-inch. And whoever redid that bathroom floor didn't do you any favours. Some of the plywood isn't even sitting on the joist. If you try to put tile in there, the whole thing is going to crack up in a month. Now my knee's pretty jacked up right now. I could use another week off of it. If you're willing to give me a place to stay and maybe trade me some gear, I can fix most of that stuff. I don't need much. The cabin is about two miles from the store, near Helton Creek Falls. Margie and I brought it just a few months earlier as an investment, but it's also a place to put up hikers during the busy months when the hostel overflows. 
We knew it was a fixer-upper, though we didn't have a lot of time or money to put into it. But there were always amateur tradesmen like Will coming off the trail, ready to barter their skills for a meal and a place to sleep. More than one of my home improvement projects have been solved this way. I tell Will we'll work something out. Just get me a list of everything you need, tell me how long you think it will take, and we'll go from there. And that's when it's Alpine's turn to rush up behind me and take me by the shoulder. Winton, you're not going to believe this. There's not a trace of his usual humour or spirit in his eyes. Jennifer walks past us, out to the parking lot, and stands there alone and very still. Try me, I say. John did it. The dude killed himself. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. 